0: Father, we are here to declare that your kingdom reigns. And we just pray that Lord Jesus, that you would come soon. Lord, I'm ready for you. Father, we just thank you for for the fact that you sent Jesus into this world to to live a life we couldn't live, to die a sacrificial death that we deserve to die and be raised on the third day so we could have eternal life. Father, I just want to pray for those maybe that are struggling today, maybe don't know what they're going through and why, that they would trust in your providence, that they would trust in your promises. And now, Lord, I just pray by the power of your spirit, you would use your word to change us, to conform us to the image of your son and to save those that need to be saved today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated and welcome. It is great to see everybody this morning. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to Exodus chapter two, the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter two. And if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in front of you and uh, you don't have to go far to get there. Well, if you're like me, you've been watching some of the news about what's going on in Ukraine and some of the images are absolutely devastating. In fact, when you watch some of the interviews with some of the locals when they return home to the devastation, it's hard to even imagine the heartbreak that so many of those are going through, especially if they have young children. I mean, can you imagine raising your children up in a war zone where bombs are being dropped? where there's no care for life, where really effectively genocide is going on. There's certainly going to be uncertainty about the future. For those living in Ukraine, these are desperate times. But you get to Exodus chapter 2, and the nation of Israel that is now in bondage in Egypt, they are living in desperate times there's been an edict by Pharaoh. We see it in chapter one, verse 22, where it says, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, all the Egyptians, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. For any parent, that just breaks your heart. And imagine what it must have been like for the families in that time. In Exodus chapter two, we meet a a slave family. This family gives birth to a child named Moses, who in God's providence would be saved out of forced infanticide. He would be raised in God's providence as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And in God's providence, he would be sent to deliver the nation out of slavery. Now last week we spoke about providence, but I didn't define it. In fact, you don't find the word providence in the Bible, but you see the concept everywhere. So I thought it'd be important to define providence this week. And so what I did was I pulled my 800 page John Piper providence book off the shelf and read one chapter on the definition of providence. One of the things that Piper says is to really understand providence, you need to understand God's sovereignty. So I want to start with that. Let me put up the definition of sovereignty by Piper. He says, sovereignty is God's right and power to do all that he decides to do. It has to do with his right and his power. We know that God is all powerful There is none that has power even come close. He is all knowing, all present, all powerful. In fact, Job chapter 42 verse 2 speaks of this, which says, I know that you can do all things and all things includes what? Everything, all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's God's sovereignty. It's his right. And his power, he has the right to do what he decides to do, and no one can stop it. Providence, though, speaks of some additional a- attributes that sovereignty doesn't. Here, we speak of also God's wisdom, his justice, his righteousness, and his grace. So Piper says this about providence. Providence is wise and purposeful sovereignty. It is God's seeing to everything. Absolutely everything that needs to be done to bring about his purposes. God sees to it that it happens. What God decides takes place. In fact, look at Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose all that god desires to take place does take place now here's the problem we start going through difficulties we experience calamities we experience trials and we have no idea what god is doing behind the scenes anybody ever experienced that Like, God, what are you doing? And when we go through times like that, we can sense despair, feelings of hopelessness, but there is hope. And that brings me to the big idea of this message. We can have hope In difficult circumstances, when we trust in God's providence and we stand on his promises. So it's trusting in God's promises or his providence and standing on his promises. We know that God is a good God and God is working all things together for good for those that love him, for those that are called according to his purpose. Now you study the life of Moses and you see times of hopelessness. You see times of real difficulty and calamity and calamity. And for those people living in that time, they were like, God, what are you doing? But we get the opportunity to look back in the rearview mirror and we know exactly what he's doing. God is preparing to deliver a nation. See, we all want to know. In advance, we all want to know what's going to happen, right? How many of you would love to know what's going to, how many of you would love to know what's going to happen with the Cardinals today? I don't know if I want to know. All right. And I don't bet. So it doesn't really matter. But, but the fact is God is working to accomplish his purposes, to accomplish his will. Now, Moses' life can be broken up into four, three, 40 year sections. In fact, DL Moody speaks of these. He says, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody that was the time where he was in Egypt as the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. He spent his second 40 years learning. He was a nobody. That's when he spent his time out in Midian and he spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. And, And I think that's a really encouraging thing because God's not looking for powerful people. God's looking for people who who are completely submitted to Him, surrendered to Him, and say, "Lord, use me. Hear my Lord. Send me," said Isaiah. So, the fact is, he was living in dangerous times. Moses was, but hope was found by trusting in God's providence and standing on His promises. So. Let me just give you a couple reasons why we can have hope. And you're going to pray you see that through this passage. First of all, we have hope because God preserves his people by providence. God preserves his people by providence. Now, when you read verses one through 10 in chapter two, you get a bunch of no name people until you really get to verse 10. I mean, he introduces all these people. There's no names. You see it starting in verse one. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife, a Levite woman. Now we know in chapter 6 of Exodus, verse 20, that their names are Amram and Jochebed. But we don't know that here. And it said, The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Okay. You have to stop right there and just imagine the anguish of this family. First of all, they did not have ultrasound. So she's, she's pregnant. She's going to have a child. She has no idea if the child is a girl or if it's a boy. And it's not until the child starts coming out that she knows this child is destined to at least be able to live in slavery or the child is going to be thrown into the Nile as a boy. That would have been heartbreaking. But notice it says in verse 2, That she saw that he was a fine child. That word fine, it means beautiful or healthy. There was something special about this boy. Now, you have to admit, every parent has always said, this baby's beautiful. This is the most beautiful baby I've ever seen. Just don't ask other people for their opinion. Now, our granddaughters, there's never been more beautiful grandkids than these these two girls. I would... Have to say, and that's unbiased for sure. So, the, what it says here is that she hid him for three months. Now, let me ask you: a child, when when he gets hungry, what does he usually do? Cry. Can you imagine just the the, the fear every time the child would cry, trying to keep him quiet? You know, maybe the the baby needed to be to be changed. I don't know where they would have gotten their pampers back then, but certainly that would have been an issue to have to change them. But this would have been a real difficult time for sure. And we know that this was a, a test of faith. We see that in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. In fact, the greatest way to interpret the Bible is through the Bible. So we're going to be going to some different verses today, but notice what it says in Hebrews eleven twenty-three: 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born... By faith. When he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. See, they trusted in God more than they trusted in the king. But now we get to verse 3, and here we have our first ray of hope. When she could hide him no longer, she took, him, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes, would be the reeds from the river, and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. Now, it says she made a basket. That word basket, it's the Hebrew word tabat. That word is only used in two places. Here, and it's used in Genesis chapter 6 through chapter 9. Do you know what happens in Genesis 6 through 9? It's the story of Noah. What did Noah build? He built an ark. It's the same word. Tabat. And so what you see here is God starting to move behind the scenes. He's giving us a glimpse here. In fact, listen to what Michael Barrett in his uh, uh, commentary says, as Noah's ark was the means of preserving humanity into which the promised deliverer uh, from the curse was to come. So it's a a picture of the, the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter three, verse 15 was preserved in the ark when that ark was bobbing along the water, the seed of the Messiah was in that ark. Um, It says, so Moses's ark was the means of preserving Israel into which the promised deliverer was to come. I love that connection. According to God's plan, there had to be an Israel if there was going to be the Christ. You see God's providence working behind the scenes here. So the tension now rises as Moses is laid in this ark, placed among the reeds at the riverbank. Here's what you see. Moses effectively, or excuse me, Moses' mom is effectively doing what the king's edict said. She put her baby in the river. But she put him in an ark. Look at verse 4. And his sister, now you have to stop for a minute, you can read that too fast. Whose sister? His sister. Speaking of Moses's sister, we know that's Miriam. We we meet Miriam later in the Bible, but you actually meet her here. She's not named, but she was his older sister. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. See, Jochebed and Miriam had planned this. It's pretty clear. Look at verse five. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him. This is one of the Hebrews children. So what's pretty amazing is, is that they take this basket with the baby in it, and they place it in the river. Now, I don't know if you've ever swum in the Nile River, swam, swum, swimmed, whatever you did in the Nile, you probably didn't do it. There's crocodiles in there. So certainly there was the fear of that. There was a fear of the baby getting caught in the current and being taken down, but they had planned this. And you can imagine what it must have been like as Miriam, the older sister, is watching, and Jochebed had to have been like, On her tiptoes, kind of seeing what's going to happen. This is my child, three months old. What's going to be the fate of this child? And as if on cue, Pharaoh's daughter comes to bathe, and there's this basket. Yet you see the providence of God. Verse 7, then his sister, Miriam, said to Pharaoh's daughter, so she must have been right there with Pharaoh's daughter and her maiden's shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called her child's mother, which also happened to be her mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me. And I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Okay. The providence of God is taking place here. Not, not only does Jochebed get Moses back to care for and nurse him? But she gets the official protection of Pharaoh's daughter and she gets a monthly check. I mean, what a deal. I mean, that was, that wasn't pretty incredible, but you got to realize that this baby whose Pharaoh's daughter saved would one day be used to deliver the nation out of, pharaoh's bondage and actually destroy pharaoh's army now one thing i understand here is jochebed had faith we see that in hebrews chapter 11 verse 23 but you also see that jochebed did all she could do in that moment she trusted in the faith of god she had she had faith in god she trusted in god but also she just she did all she could She trusted God, but she understands trusting God doesn't mean you just sit on the couch waiting for God to move. Have you ever heard any, you know, have you ever gone to anybody and say, well, so are you looking for a job? I'm just trusting God to give me a job. Well, yeah, but what about a resume and going on to Indeed or something? No, I know God will do this. Maybe God is waiting for you to do what you need to do. So then God can now start to move in you. So often we, we can just step back and say, I'm, I'm just trusting God and sit on the couch for the next 50 years waiting for God. Good luck. Now, when you read this account, you, you, your heart's got to be lifted a little bit, right? You see what's going on here. You're excited about the fact that Moses has now been saved. There's, there's been this tension and the tension is released, but you, gotta, you can't miss the backside of the story. Of the thousands of moms whose babies were taken from them and thrown in the river. This was the time that they were living in. This was, this was how depraved this time was. And then you get to verse 10 and you see the handoff. Look at verse 10. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. So when the child, Moses, grew older, she, being Jochebed, his mom, brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. And he became her son. She adopted him. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of water. So Moses in this moment goes from the projects to the palace. Jochebed had, had, she must have had to savor every moment with her son, probably pouring as much of, of Jewish history into him, teaching him maybe if they had it, God's law, which actually they wouldn't have had God's law at that time because it didn't come until later. But teaching all that God had done, uh, and teaching about the, the patriarchs. I believe this is a good reminder for our parents. See, Jochebed knew that she only had Moses for a short time, and then she had to turn him over effectively to Pharaoh's daughter, where he would then be inculcated into Egyptian culture. Parents? You have a short amount of time in which to pour truth into your children. God's truth. Because there's going to be a time where they're either going to go into public school or to college. And and, and, if, if, if it, and there's no bubbles. You know, you, you, we have to teach them truth because then we have to teach them to navigate what, what the world is like. We want them to be so grounded in what God's word says so they see the difference between God's word and God's world. And what the world says. So, Moses' parents knew the handoff was coming and here it takes place. Yet they would not have probably known what God was doing behind the scenes. God preserves his people by his providence. He did that by saving Moses to be the future deliverer to the Jews for whom our ultimate deliverer would come. So we can have hope because God preserves his people by his providence. Secondly, we learn God will work all things together for good. Now up to verse 10, Moses is just a child, but we get to verse 11 and says one day when Moses had grown up. So there's a point where he grew up. It fast forwards to his adulthood. We don't know what life was really like as he was growing up. We actually get a little bit of insight from Acts chapter 7. This is where Stephen is declaring to the the religious leaders about the history of the nation. In fact, look at Acts chapter 7 verse 20. It says, at this time Moses was born and it was beautiful in God's sight. We learn a little bit more about what God thought of Moses. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him as her own son. And Moses was instructed. This is the key. Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. So there was a time when the handoff took place that Moses would have been instructed in what Egypt was known for the sciences they, they they were known for they were known for law they were known for for astronomy they were known for medicine and they he would have been trained in protocol and lifestyle uh, Josephus uh, um, uh, the Jewish historian says that he was he was now the second in line to become pharaoh and as some of you have maybe been watching some of what's been going on in Britain and how. Queen Elizabeth was prepared to be queen and then how Charles were prepared to be king. You can imagine some of this is taking place once Moses came into Pharaoh's daughter's house and how he was being prepared. We also learn from extra biblical resources that he was a, he was a great warrior that he actually went down, took an army and defeated the Ethiopians. And so all of a sudden we see that he's, he's learning all of these, he's, he's learning all of these different, uh, Wisdoms of the Egyptians and he was mighty in words and in deeds. He would have been somewhat of a, of a of a savant. He would have he would have had some charisma about him. But in a moment, all that changed. Look at verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, the Jews who were slaves and looked on their burdens And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Now, certainly that would stir anybody's heart. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Certainly there was some guilt there. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And this is interesting in verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. Moses, all of a sudden has a price on his head, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian and he sat down by the well. Moses goes from the projects to the palace. Now he's in a desert place. And it may be that Moses understood that the Lord had wanted to use him as a deliverer. Maybe he knew it for years, but nothing happened. Maybe he got to a point where he said, you know, God, you're just a little bit slow. I know this is what you want me to do. So let me just kind of take control here, and I'm going to take over the car. And what does Moses do? He, he drives it right into a ditch. Yet how many of us, we kind of think, this is what the Lord wants from me. We get out ahead of God. Am I the only one that's ever done that? Moses certainly had done that. Look what Acts seven twenty three to 25 says. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers. So we know this is the end of the first 40 year period. Verse 11 starts at he's 40 years old. It came into his heart to visit his brothers. It doesn't tell us if that was God putting it in his heart. Or if he's just like, ah, I'm going to go see these guys. They're going to love me. I'm like, I'm Moses. He went out to see his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed, turn to your neighbor and say, he supposed. I mean, he, he supposed, I, 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 he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they didn't understand. They didn't know. Like, I got this, Lord. They'll know. They didn't know. Talk about a devastating turn of events for Moses. He goes from this blue-blood pedigree to thinking he was going to deliver the nation to having a bounty on his head to sitting alone by a wall in the Arabian desert. Ever feel that way? See, Moses was getting ready to get a real education now. Him and the Lord. In fact, you see Paul with that in Galatians. He spent three years out in Arabia learning from God. This was after he got saved. And so that, that can sometimes be when we really learn, when we really grow. All right, look at verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. So he, he goes out to Midian. Midian is somewhere, it's a region somewhere in the, uh, the Sinai Peninsula, which is desert, to the Arabian Peninsula. Area which is desert, and we know it was a desert area. He comes, he comes across this well, and I just, I just see him like slowly sinking down with his back against the well, with his knees up, like hands in his head, like, how did I get here? And then all of a sudden he looks up, and it's like, is this a mirage? Verse 16, now the priest of Midian had 7 daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to uh, to water their father's flock. So all of a sudden, seven women are coming at him. Probably not a good plan right there, but I mean, it's like, okay, this is what you have for me, Lord. And so they draw water, they water their flock, but then it says the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. Moses is probably thinking, Lord, what are you doing? But all of a sudden, in this moment, he uses his deliverance inclination. He saves these girls. He waters their flock. What he's doing is he's learning to be faithful in the little things. Why? So God can trust him with the big things. So often, we want the big things. I'll never forget when I I surrendered to full-time ministry. And they offered me a job being a project manager on a um, $36 million expansion. We had a little church. $30 million, $36 million expansion. And, and, and when the executive pastor said, What do you think? I said, Well, I, I was wanting to be one of those pastor guys that is doing ministry. And, and, and Mike Buster, our executive pastor, said, Everything we do here is ministry. And I didn't know it at the time, but God wanted me to become faithful in the little things. So he can entrust me with better things, greater things. Verse 18, when they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, well, then where is he? Like, did you leave him at the well? Like, invite him. I'm thinking, he's thinking, I got seven daughters. There's not a whole lot of eligible bachelors here. Go get the guy. And so we see that kind of what takes place. And Moses, he, says, he said to his daughters, then where is he? We have, we have left the man. Call him that he may eat bread. Verse 21, and Moses was content. So there's this contentment to live right here, to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now Moses may not have understood what God was doing behind the scenes. But he'd soon understand and we understand because we have the ability to look back and see. See, ultimately, God works all things together for good for those who love him, for those that are called according to his purpose. We can hope in that. Finally, we can have hope because God never forsakes his covenant promises. God never forsakes his covenant promises. Now, now Moses had to be reflecting on this situation. I was saved from the river. I was educated in the best schools, and now I'm pastoring sheep. Lord, what are you doing? I'd like to know. To this point, What's interesting is God has barely been mentioned. We see God mentioned a couple times in chapter one, speaking of the midwives who trusted God. But now in chapter two, we don't see God's name anywhere. But then we get to verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. This speaks of an incredibly desperate time in the life of the nation. Now it was a common practice that when a pharaoh would die and a new pharaoh would be raised up, that he would commute some sentences, that he would he would free some slaves. And so there must have been so much hope in that. Yet the new king, the new pharaoh is in place. Crickets. Nobody's release. Continued slavery. Desperate. Finally, they cry out to be rescued. Notice what it says. During those days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God is getting ready to move. And sometimes God has to get us to a place that we have nowhere else to cry than to God. See, they had put their focus in the king, in the president, in the senators, in the representatives. And God said, put your hope in me. Put your hope in me. And that's what's taking place here. They understood that their salvation would not be found in a political leader leader, but in divine deliverance. That's what God is doing behind the scenes. He is reminding us that our true deliverance is in God alone. There is salvation in no other name, but Jesus. And so what you see is their cry came up to God. And so we see in verse 24, and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew you can't help, but see the contrast between the empty hope of political change to true hope that only comes from God. I pray that we would be a people. Listen, we're called to vote. We're called to be involved but our hope is not in a person, but in a savior, in Jesus Christ. The people at this point were now ready to be delivered. It's like Jehoshaphat in 2 in, in, um, Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, when he's surrounded by all these armies, he just says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Blessed are you when you're at that place. I know it's hard in the moment, but the hope is in knowing that God is working behind the scenes. He can even be working in that. The people are ready to be delivered. See, God remembered the promises he had made to give them the land uh, to Abraham's seed, to bring them out of bondage into a good land. We see the, the, the covenant in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. And so what's the lesson here? Your, your hope is not in the death of a Pharaoh, but in the providence of God. Your hope is not in some fortunate change in your condition. But your hope is in a God who hears, a God who remembers, a God who sees, a God who knows. And it's often when our hope in some human being fails that we cast ourselves on our only God. See, the fact is all of us are in a desperate place. Apart from Jesus Christ, we're we're all born into sin. We're all born separated from God. We're, we're facing his wrath. But God being a good God, a gracious God, a loving God, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bridge the gap so we could have a relationship with God. Jesus died the death we deserve to die. He became the sacrificial lamb. He was buried. On the third day, he was raised by God's power. And, and for anyone who, who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, turns from their sin and self and turns to Jesus Christ, we have assurance for eternal life. It's when we cry out to God, God saves us. And God is starting to work behind the scenes. You see the, the, the providence of God preserving his people, working all things together for good, keeping his covenant promises Listen, we can have hope in difficult circumstances when we trust in God's promises and st- st- trust in God's providence and, trust in- and stand on his promises. So if you're going through a difficult time right now, just know this, our hearts go out to you. We care for you. We want to pray for you. We'll have people at the end of the service here to pray. But just know this, God hears God remembers, God sees, God knows. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. And as they do, I want you just to reflect on this. Have have you put your faith and trust in something that doesn't save or in someone that doesn't save? And if you have, I would just encourage you just to confess that to God and say, God, forgive me. Let me put my faith and trust in you. Is it in a parent? Is it in a child? Is it in a, uh, a friend? Is it, what have you put your faith in? They're not saviors. There's only one savior and that's Jesus Christ. We're going to baptize in a minute. And baptism is a picture of what we've just talked about. That we die to our old life. And we've been raised to walk in newness of life. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace, for your love for us. Pray if there's anyone here today that has never surrendered their life to Christ, today would be the day of their salvation. I pray they would tell someone. Lord, I even pray for these baptisms. That would just be an incredible picture of your goodness. And Lord, we know that, uh, that we're sinners, but where sin abounds, grace much more. And we thank you for that truth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.